It's a joy and an honor and a privilege to come to you once again on a Sunday morning to bring you God's word. Um, in the past few Sundays, uh, in the month of November, we've been exploring the subject of liberty, walking in freedom, walking in liberty. And uh, in the part one, we said that we were set free from the law. And uh, part two, last week, we said, having been set free from the law, we must be bound to the spirit. Uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter number five, verse one, he says, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So, so far we've understood that our freedom in Christ means not going back to the law. It also means not yielding to the flesh. Just because we've been set free and we are not supposed to uh, obey the law to be accepted by God does not mean we live anyhow. It does not mean we do anything. So we have been set free from the law, but we are called not to yield to the flesh, but rather to bind ourselves to the spirit. That means we yield our lives to the leadings of the spirit. Today, I want to raise up the ante a little bit. I'm speaking on what I've titled Be on God. So, working in Liberty Part 3, Be on God. The, the number of times I had to change this title to, for this message, it's initially I was going to speak on dealing with demonic strongholds, which we will deal with, fighting till the end, which we will deal with, but I think Be on God. Because um, uh, when I, I was younger, there was a show on TV where they used to show people who used to fence, sword fighting, fencing. And when, before they begin, the ref or the umpire will shout on guard and everybody draws their sword and they are in battle-ready positions. We have been set free, but as believers, we must remain battle-ready to maintain our freedom. So when I say we must be on guard, I don't know if the image is on the screen, but... The way the swords are drawn for battle. That is the idea I want you to have. That we have been set free, but we must be on guard to maintain our freedom. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 11, from verse 17 to 26. Luke chapter 11, from verse 17 to 26. Before I jump into the text, let me provide some background to what is happening here. Jesus, in his ministry, has met a man who was mute from birth. He wasn't speaking. And Jesus diagnosed and realized that this particular problem is that of an evil spirit. So he casts a demon out of the man, and the man begins to speak. But there are some detractors and there are some opposers in the crowd who are beginning to accuse Jesus of casting out this devil or this demon with the prince of demons called Beelzebub. And Jesus is about to respond. But in the response of Jesus, he teaches us some eternal truths about the cosmic battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's a genre of videos that most, of, most Christians are usually interested in where they watch videos of ex-Satanists or ex-occultists coming to teach us things about the dark kingdom. 
the reason why I, for one, do not subscribe to those things, some of them can teach you things, but I don't, do not subscribe to them, is that the Bible calls the devil the father of lies. Even when you are in his kingdom, he lies to you. So even what you think you have come out that you think you, you saw when you were there, they were smoke screens. They were lies. The only person where I can trust when it comes to the powers of darkness is Jesus himself because he is the truth. He is the one who shines light and the darkness cannot comprehend it. I'm saying this to advise some of you that do not build your life on those kind of videos and supposed revelations. We build our life on the word of God and the words of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stranger, when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his paws. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes and he finds it swept and put in order, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Hallelujah. So Jesus is answering their question, and he begins with simple logic. He says, you people have some exorcists amongst you. You have people who go about the business of casting out devils. If you are saying that I am casting out demons by Beelzebub, by whom? Do your, you, your sons cast them out? Because your people seem not to have results. They are against Jesus because Jesus has results. So if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then yours that is not working, by whom do they cast them out? And he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the finger of God here means the Holy Spirit. Jesus is referencing a language that was used in Exodus when Moses went face to face with the, with the magicians of Pharaoh. And when he, he turned the dust into flies and they could not, they said, this is none other than the finger of God. So when, Moses says, if he, when Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, he's referencing the power of God and the Holy Spirit. He says, if I cast out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Then he goes on to explain other things. But in, in the, the revelation that Jesus gives, he reveals a number of truths about Satan and the mode of his operation. The first thing we see is that the devil has a kingdom. When we read the Bible, we hear about the kingdom of God, but there is 
an opposing kingdom. The Bible says that when we are saved in Colossians, when it says we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So there is an opposing kingdom, sometimes called the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. This kingdom is highly organized. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. It is highly organized and highly strategic. He says, a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? The kingdom that we are up against in battle with is a kingdom that is highly regimented and highly organized. When Paul refers to them in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This delineation represents structure, hierarchy, and order. You see, we are dealing with a people, a kingdom that knows what they are about. So if we are going to survive this warfare, we have to know what we are about as well. You see, sometimes when people talk about the devil, I don't give him too much credit. But you do not disrespect him as well because he has been here longer than you. If he can beat you on strength, he can beat you with experience because he has been dealing with human beings from the very existence of man. And he has, he has been able to outline certain pathways that he knows that he can get us. See, part of this structure, this regimented order that we are dealing with are entities called demons. Demons, like the other members of this kingdom, are disembodied malevolent spirits. That means they seek to do you evil. They are malevolent spirits that work against the, the well-being of man. Their modus operandi is like what Jesus says about the entire modus operandi of the devil himself in John 10.10. 10. He says, the enemy cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So the work of the devil and the work of these demons in the life of the people that they go to possess or the people they seek to influence is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. They want to take advantage of something and steal the liberty that you have found in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. These demons are responsible for so many different things. Some are responsible for alcoholism. Some are responsible for sexual deviance, promiscuity, all kinds of things. In the context that we just read, this demon was responsible for mutism. Shut this man's mouth forever. If this man was destined to be a preacher because of the, the presence of this demon, he couldn't preach. If he was destined to be, let's say he was even supposed to be a lawyer, use his mouth to speak for a living. He couldn't speak because of a demon possession. So they are taking advantage of an entryway to destroy this person. I remember several years ago, during my days as a youth facilitator, I was, I was in the office at the time and I, I was called that there was an emergency. I should rush to church right away. And then when I got to church, there was another uh, young youth facilitator, a lady, and there was a younger lady, one of the youth in the church that we were dealing with at the time. And this lady had become, she was barely, barely 18, 19. Had become a sexual deviant. Like, doesn't care who is around. She's watching pornography. She's masturbating. You could meet her today. She'll have sex with you. That's, that's how deviant this person was. And, and we realized that this, this was none other than demonic influence. So we called her to church and and 
As we began to pray and I laid hands on her, the, the evil spirit began to manifest. It was in that manifestation that I understood why Jesus called some of them unclean spirits. Because the moment the spirit manifested, the, even the atmosphere in the room changed. and the, There was a foul stench in the room. You could, you could literally smell this, this particular spirit. And we prayed. It was, it was about 30 minutes of prayer, deliverance, and the spirit came out of this person. And now this girl is doing so, much, so well in life. She's, her life is in order. But you see, when they come, they come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Whatever you have. You see, sometimes human beings, we think we are taking advantage of some leeways to enjoy ourselves. But by the time I finish this message, I just want to bring you to a place where you do not do things anyhow. Because you need to guard the freedom you have in Christ. Hallelujah. So the first thing we've seen is that the, this kingdom is regimented. It is highly organized. It's hierarchical. The next thing Jesus teaches us about them is that these spirits keep men in bondage. These spirits keep men in bondage. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. The goods, Jesus is speaking in parabolic language here. The goods he's speaking about here are the souls of men. When demons possess a people or they take advantage of a place, they seek to keep men in the domain of Satan, in sin, in bondage. When we were unbelievers, the reason why sometimes you can't identify their work is because when you are not a believer, you are already in their domain. You are already under them, so they do not worry about you too much. In Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 2, he says, And you has he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So when you see people living a certain way and doing Living anyhow, and it's like you are advising them and it's falling on deaf ears. What you must understand is that there is a cause behind the scenes that is causing people to live a certain way. You go to some neighborhoods, you go to certain geographic areas, and you realize that people live a certain way. Every, every, every young guy wants to be a gangbanger. Every guy wants to be, be a creep or a blood. They, 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 they are not aspiring for greater things. They are not aspiring to do much more with their life. It is because there is a territorial spirit that has kept people in bondage. You go to some families, you go to some communities, and all the ladies are knocked up. No one is thinking about getting married. They are shacking up. Some people are knocked up. Everybody wants to be a baby mama. It's all because there is a spirit that is controlling the mind of the people that has kept people in bondage. Hallelujah. When you read the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, Daniel prayed and he says, when the angel appeared to him in Daniel chapter 10, he says, the very first day you prayed, I was sent with an answer, but there was a prince of Persia. So there was a spirit that ruled over the geographical area of Persia and that spirit was preventing Daniel's answer to come to him. Because Daniel's answer if it was coming, meant the freedom and the liberation of the Jewish people who were in bondage in Persia at the time. And this spirit wanted to keep the people in bondage. Are we together? So we must understand that these spirits work to keep men in bondage. And as long as you are under them, you will not come to the full realization of the potential that you have in Christ Jesus. 
The third thing we learn in the, in the response of Jesus is that Christ is stronger than the devil and his demons. I thought I would get an amen. I said Christ is stronger than the devil and his demons. He says, but when a stronger than he comes upon him. So he speaks about a strong man. The first strong man represents the evil spirits. But he says, when a stronger than he comes upon him, he overcomes him and takes away all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Jesus was making the audience aware. The reason why I am successful in casting out these demons is not that I am operating through Beelzebub. But it is because I am stronger than them. It is because I am more powerful than them. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords. Every power in heaven or on earth is subject to the name of Jesus. They may be in rebellion right now according to what scripture teaches us. But the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that whether it be thrones, it be powers, it be dominions, all things were made by him, all things were made for him, all things were made through him, and in all things Christ has preeminence. As such, when Jesus appears, the powers of darkness have to bow and give way. There is no power there is no demon, there is no devil that can resist the authority of Jesus. In Acts chapter 10 verse 38, the Bible says, How God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. When Jesus appeared on the scene, everyone who was oppressed by any spirit, whether it was possession, oppression, influence, when Jesus appeared, the demons had to give way. I remember when Jesus went to the land of the gatherings and he met the man who was bound in chains. The demons saw him and says, have you come to destroy us before our time? Because they knew him. Several times when Jesus was teaching and somebody manifested a demon and they wanted to speak, he would shut them up. He doesn't, Jesus does not negotiate with the demons. When he speaks, they go. He doesn't speak long sentences. I remember when the, 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 the man was possessed with the spirit of legion. Legion represents at least 6,000. He says, go, and with one word, 6,000 demons fleet. He doesn't negotiate. He is the one in charge. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned, from the beginning but for this purpose the son of god was manifested that he might destroy all the works of the devil hallelujah even when jesus gives people delegated authority you know in the in the bible there are two words for power in the greek one is dunamis which is creative power which has to do with demonstrative power and the next word is the word exousia exousia is delegated power which which is sometimes translated authority so if I send someone in this church and they come and say, Pastor has sent me, whatever they are about to tell you, it is delegated authority. Once you hear the phrase, Pastor has sent me, it means it is coming from Pastor. And, G and the Bible tells us that even in delegated authority, in the name of Jesus, demons will have to bow. Demons will still have to flee. In Acts chapter 10 verse 17, Jesus called, uh, in Acts chapter, uh, Luke chapter 10, Nine, sorry, he calls the 12 first and he sends them out. Then in Luke chapter 10, he calls the 70 also. What we must understand is that Jesus had more than 12 disciples. Sometimes we say 12 disciples, but they were more. At least even in the, the book of Acts tells us that at least they were 120. 
on the day of Pentecost. It was 12 amongst the lots that were called to be apostles, his representatives. That's where sometimes the, the difference gets marred. So he calls 12 and sends them out, the apostles. Then he calls 70 also, and he sends them out two by two. And the Bible says he gave them power over serpents and scorpions and over all powers of the enemy. The reason why they call them serpents and scorpions is that the Jewish people, during their second temple period, developed a, a, an identity for these evil spirits. And these evil spirits would usually dwell in places where human beings would not want to dwell. So if they say serpents and scorpions, and sometimes it's referred to as a lion, these are wilderness beasts. These are beasts that dwell in the place or animals that dwell in the place where human life does not survive. So scorpions and serpents are wilderness desert animals and the lion also usually dwells in the wilderness, right? So that is, that is why they use those uh, animals as reference points to these spirits sometimes. And when they returned from, from the, the mission that Jesus has given them in Luke 10, 17, it says, then the 70 returned with joy and said, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That means even those who went with delegated authority, the demons could not stand before them. Right? So some of us, we have delegated authority to go into our families, to go into our homes, to go into our communities and declare freedom over the people. We live in a nation where people are subject to the, to the devices, the plans, the evil thoughts of the enemy. Sometimes you may be from a family that has demonic oppression going on. You have power because the Bible says you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you have been sent into that family to go and declare Clear freedom. Hallelujah. The next thing Jesus teaches us is that even though he has power over them, these demons are relentless. Somebody said they are relentless. They do not give up. In the verse 24, he says, when an unclean spirit gets out of a man, that means if he's driven out. Because the, the context of the whole conversation is that Jesus has cast out a demon. So I want you to follow the train of thought here. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest. He's not seeking rest to go and sit on a chair. He's seeking rest to find whom he may possess again, whom he might influence again. But he says, if he goes and finds none, he says, I will return. To my house. That means the demon has taken, has identified you as a resting place. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. He goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than their first. Jesus says that if they are cast out, they keep coming back. They keep coming back. But when they come, the first job, the first thing that they are doing is that they scan. Somebody says scan. They are scanning to check if you are empty. They are scanning to see if the, the stronger man is still there. Because it was a stronger than them that cast them out. So if they are going to return, they must first of all make sure that the stronger man is not there. So when they come, they are scanning. And they are scanning to check if you are still with Christ. They are scanning to check if Christ is still your Lord. Because you see, to be under Christ or to, to have Christ as your Lord means that you are living in obedience. You are working with God. You are, still, you are still declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. 
And when they come, that is what they are looking out for. But when they come to and they find you empty, that you have slipped, you have gone away from the Lord, you have gone your own way, they come with seven more demons wicked than themselves. And the reason why they come with seven more demons wicked than themselves is that they have ambition. Their mission is to steal, to kill, to destroy. And they were sad before they could complete it. Are you together? So if they are coming back, the reason why they are coming with seven more wicked than them is to fast track the rate of destruction. They want to make sure that they can finish the assignment before the strong man shows up again. Are you together? And this is why we must be on guard. Because if you are not on guard and you go back, and they can capture you, your end will be worse than the beginning. You see, one of the things that we must I, I understand is that spiritually and even physically, nature abhors a vacuum. There cannot be a secular state. Sometimes when I see nations saying that they are a secular state, it's, it's funny. France, which was once a very a highly Christian state, declared itself a secular state, and the Muslims have taken over. UK declared itself a secular state, and they are taking over there because you cannot have an empty space. Spiritually, it is not possible. Something will fill the gap. If you are a believer and you say, I don't believe in God again, it is not that you will not believe in anything. Something will fill the gap. Are we together? This is why it is sometimes you see people who leave church and they backslide and you look at them and it's like there is no ounce of Christianity ever on them. You can't even tell that they were ever once saved. It is because there are seven more wicked demons who have come to make sure that this time we finish the job. Are we together? Several years ago, there was a man that became a close acquaintance to my family. This man was part of my family till like, from when I was like seven years old. He eventually died. And it is because of this individual in particular, that is why I don't go near alcohol. He, he was a, a voyager, a seaman back in the day, like a, a cabin crew of a ship. And they, they would go on different journeys. They went to Spain, went to Italy. He came with goods and he was doing well in life. And on one of their, their voyages, when they came back, their captain was a, a Spaniard. This man said that um, uh, he's planning on retiring. He wants to give up this voyaging life, spend time with his family. So he's downsizing the crew, and uh, he wants to make sure that uh, he doesn't have too many people on payroll before he, he retires. So a friend... That, the man I'm speaking of and another friend who was also a, a crew member called him, called him and said, you know what, let's go to a, a witch doctor. Let's go to a shaman and go and influence this captain so that when, we, when he is listing those who remain, our names will be mentioned first. But you see, I told you, the devil is a liar. And everything he does, smoke screens. Unknown to this man that I'm speaking about, the friend who called him was in league with the witch doctor. And he was supposed to come and present somebody for sacrifice. So he went thinking that they were, they were doing something against their boss. He was the one that was being sold away. And from that day, this man could not sleep. 
he would sleep in the middle of the night and spirits would come to him and lash him. And it's not some. Initially, he thought he was dreaming, but he would wake up and you would see cane marks all over his body. So in a bit to numb the pain, he took to alcohol, started drinking, and he became a champion of the bottle. But he was looking for freedom. And because he could not sleep at night, he took to walking within the neighborhood, and he would walk by our house. Usually at 2 a.m., my father would wake up to pray. And he could hear prayer ongoing. And whenever he could, he would walk around the house and in the area of the prayer, he could feel some kind of relief that he's not feeling. So he, would, he came during the day and said that he's looking for the pastor who lives here. And they told him there's no pastor living in this house. He says he's looking for the man. Of, no, there is a pastor. There's a man of God living here. They said there's no pastor living here. And eventually they introduced him to my dad. And we, he was prayed for. They took him to church. And this man became okay. He started working again, going on trips, um, started getting his life back together. But one day, he went out with friends and he began to think that now that he's getting money again, he doesn't need God. He's going out. He's going to. Whenever he sees his friends with a bottle, he goes to join them. And this became a cycle of his life. Now he would go and drink. Sometimes he would come back to church for two years. He looks good. Everything is okay. Then one day, he would go back. You know when Christians get okay, they, they begin to think that God is, not, is no longer needed. Then he would go back into the world. And every time he goes back, he falls harder than he came. I remember the day he died. The day he died, I was in the office. And they called me to rush to him. His kidneys had shut down. His liver had shut down. This guy was bleeding from the nose, bleeding from the eyes, bleeding from the ears. He had become stiff. It was just, he just bled to death. Because, you see, when they come back, they are coming with seven more wicked. This is why you need to be on guard. Because when they, are, when they come after you this time, you see, it was, it was a disgrace. You know when you send somebody on a mission and they are not able to complete their mission? It's a disgrace. He has to go and report back that I could not accomplish the task for which I was sent. So now he's going to call seven more wicked people. So if yours was just fornication initially, when the demon is coming back this time, he's coming with alcohol, he's coming with drugs, he's coming with all kinds of things to make sure that we fast track the rate of destruction. Because you see, like I said, when they come, they are scanning. Is this man still under Christ? Or is he empty? One of the things that you must decide not to be as a believer is to be an empty Christian. Your life must not be empty. How you guard yourself is by filling yourself with more of God. You must begin to build up altars. The day you got saved, you must begin to build up altars. Build up an altar of prayer. Build up an altar of worship. An altar of consecration. An altar of going to church. Are we together? Do You see... Do not be a believer that the devil can come and he will look into your life and say, that, I can give you two weeks. I'll get you again. I'll, I'll find you. This guy, let's wait for him. After right now, the end of the year is coming. So from November to December 31st, you'll be in church. January 1st, we'll be waiting for you. Are you together? You must fill your life. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, don't be empty. See? When I got saved, right, I noticed the pattern in my family. And because of that pattern, I decided to be radical. 
be radical. You see, it's my, my, one of my youth pastors, uh, Reverend Eboanan, he says that when you get saved, it's like you have just crossed the line. If this is the border, you have crossed the line and you are standing here. The first two years of your life, you must run as far as possible from this line. As far as possible. So that even if you are falling back, because if you are here and you are falling back, it's dangerous. You just come back to where you were. But at least if you are, you are going to backslide, if you are praying three hours a day and you are backsliding, you fall to two-hour prayer, not to zero. Are we together? You must begin to fill your life. Keep yourself under Jesus Christ. Keep yourself in the love of God. Make sure that you are not, because you cannot fight the, the, the spirits. It is those who are stronger than them that fight them. So when they are coming, they are not looking for you. They are looking for Christ. If they can't find Jesus, they know that you are fair game. Are we together? In Jude chapter 1, it's only one chapter, verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Verse 24, I'll add it to it and I'll explain. He says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to him be glory and power. He, gives, he goes into doxology from there. He says, but you beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith that means when you become a believer there is a job for you to build yourself up and it's part of how we build ourselves up is by praying in the spirit you must develop a, a strategic and regimented lifestyle of prayer because as you pray in the spirit you build up capacity the bible says in first corinthians 14 4 it says if a man prays in the spirit he edifies himself you are building up capacity you are building up strength the bible tells us in romans chapter 8 verse 26 he says for for the spirit himself helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know how to pray as we ought to but the spirit himself maketh intercession for us with prayers with groanings that cannot be uttered hallelujah so as we pray the spirit builds us up he gives us strength. How to maneuver. He teaches us. This, 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 whilst you are praying, the Holy Spirit will whisper to you, there is an open door in this area of your life. Shut it. There is an access point that you are giving the enemy with this lifestyle. Shut it. There is unforgiveness in your heart. You are giving place to the devil. Shut it. Are we together? We must build ourselves. Why does he say we must build ourselves? In building ourselves, he says, you are keeping yourself in the love of God. You are keeping yourself in the love of God, looking forward to his coming. You see, as you keep yourself in the love of God, there is what God also does for you. Your job is not to fight the devil. Right? That is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, when he's teaching about spiritual warfare, the battle of the believer is not one of physical fight, it is one of standing. You must make sure you are standing in Christ. You must make sure that your position and your feet is planted in the Lord. Because that, whilst you are planted there, you are within the stronger man. Are we together? And it says, whilst you are planted there, the Jude, Jude 24, it says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Once you are in the love of God, God keeps you from stumbling. Are we together? So your job is to make sure you are planted in Christ. And Christ's responsibility for you is that he will keep you from stumbling. Be on guard. Develop a lifestyle where you are filling your life with every good thing. 
some of you, 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 you alternate church service like clothes. Today we'll come, the next week we'll not come. Maybe we'll see you next month. See, part of your defense is the fellowship of the believers. Part of the defense that God gives believers is the fellowship of the believers. That when you are down, somebody would hold you up and give you strength. When you are weak, somebody will speak words of strength into your life and encourage you. Somebody would, would be there and they will pick up something in the spirit that, you know what, rise up and pray for this person. Rise up and pray for that person. They are going through some difficulties. And whilst they are doing, you see, this is what builds us up. Are you together? I've been repeating several times here. In the New Testament, there was nothing, and I can say it on authority, there was nothing like a believer who does not go to church. Or a believer who does not belong to a body of Christ. It doesn't exist. There is not, there's nothing like my Christianity is in my heart, so I will not join a church. In the New Testament, that thing, because even when Paul was, was discussing punishment for people who have started following and doing evil things in church, he says their punishment was that they should be excommunicated from the church. And when he says that, he says, when they are removed from the church, it is like though you are handing them over to Satan. So to not be part of the church is to be exposed to the devil. Are we together? That's why you must build yourself up. But you see, when the enemy realizes that, so I'm teaching you all kinds of things to be on guard. When the enemy realizes that you are still in Christ and he cannot access you because of the presence of the strong man, there is his last calling card. And his last calling card is your mind. He's coming to chase your mind. Are we together? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So you see, sometimes you see people go and buy charms. They'll buy crystals. They are burning sage. And they'll go and buy, they'll go and read tarot cards. Have their, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, and of late they have invented the Christian versions of these things. If you know you are doing something in this church, repent. Are we together? We do not war according to the flesh. An open Bible under your pillow will not fight the devil. Are we together? We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not fleshly. The weapons that we are fighting with, they are not fleshly. But he says, they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul says that we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are not fighting against human beings. And the weapons of our warfare too are not carnal. That means they are also not fleshly. Like I said, your, your weapon to fight the devil cannot be a crystal. It cannot be sage. It cannot be incense. Are you together? It cannot even be anointing oil you bought from your pastor. That is not what we used to fight the enemy. Are we together? Anointing oil, the anointing oil, it is olive oil. I can buy it and use to fry potatoes at home. That is not what fights the devil. Are we together? But he says they are, the weapons are spiritual. They are mighty through God. And they are used for, he says, they are used for pulling down strongholds. 
When Paul speaks about strongholds, you see, a stronghold is a fortress. It is a military installation from which armies fight. It is usually at a high position, and it is a fortified place. When, the, when you enter a stronghold, there is no going in, there is no coming out. Right? But a stronghold is a place where the enemy wages war from. And the Bible says that we must pull down those strongholds. And he doesn't leave you to do guesswork for what those strongholds are. He tells you what those strongholds are. He says the strongholds that we are fighting against, they are arguments and high-sounding knowledge that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Are we together? We live in a world of high-sounding ideas and philosophies. And these philosophies are against God. They come in various forms and different channels. Some of you, the music you listen to is spiritual warfare, but you are not aware of. Because the music is telling, is channeling to you ideas, philosophies that are against the knowledge of God. And whenever anything raises an argument, it raises a philosophy that goes against the knowledge of God, the enemy in that form is doing spiritual warfare against you. And the Bible says we must pull them down. God has said that marriage is between a man, born man at birth, and a woman, born woman at birth. For the purpose, you realize how I'm specific with my definitions now. For the purpose of companionship, displaying the loving union between Christ and the church, and with the aim of multiplying the image of God. This is what marriage is in the sight of God. So it is not just for companionship for you to say that, if two men love each other, they can get married. Aside companionship, it is to display the union between Christ and the church. And Christ's church is his bride. So it is a male and female union. And it has the potential of multiplying the image of God. Somebody would say that, does that mean that people who cannot give birth should not marry? It doesn't say that they must give birth, they must have the potential. So if your union does not have the potential to create babies... It is not a marriage. Are you together? I want you to note this definition down because they will come after your, your mind. And today, even in kids' cartoons, in kids' cartoons, there is, there is an agenda to go against the knowledge of God. You'll be watching a series. First season, the, the character you love the most is a straight individual. All of a sudden, season two, because you're falling in love with this character and you have a connection to this character, they make him gay. And now you are at a place where there is a high-sounding argument in your mind that's against the knowledge of God that you are trying to reason through. It's a spiritual warfare. And the Bible says in those moments, we are to bring those things in obedience. To the knowledge of God. Because you see, the enemy understands something. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts will soon influence your action. So even if he cannot possess you, he can lock you within a frame of thinking that with time you will come to him. Are we together? So we need to guard our minds, guard our thoughts. The last time I checked in the Bible, Fornication is still a sin. You can reframe it. Call it anything. Shacking up. We are testing the waters. We are trying it out. Cohabitation. Any name you give it, it doesn't change that that kind of thinking is going against the knowledge of God. 
And of late, they use nice terms. They use nice philosophies. The last I checked, murder is still a sin, which means that abortion is still a sin. Abortion is not family planning. Abortion is not a contraceptive method. Are we together? Somebody said you consented to sex, but you didn't consent to having a baby. You see, to consent to sex is to consent to the potential of having a baby. If you don't want the children abstain from the sex, do it within the... That is why God locks the sexual union in the confines of marriage because it is protected by a covenant. It is protected by somebody who says, I am there with you till death do us part. So even if, let's say, we did not plan for this baby, our union is till death do us part. We'll figure it out. Are we together? See, most of the problems, when I became a pastor, I realized that you solve more problems than you preach. Right? And most of the problems you are solving are problems that if people were subjecting their thinking to the thinking patterns of God, you will not have to solve them. Are we together? It says we must bring those thoughts into captivity. Subject them, bring them to obedience. You see, and I like what he says in the end. He says, being ready to punish all disobedience. When your obedience is complete. You see, one of the things that we must understand is that fighting spiritual warfare is simply being obedient. Being on guard, protecting your freedom is just simply being obedient. He says, when you are obedient and your obedience is fulfilled, then you are in a place to punish all disobedience. Because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 that do you not know that him who you obey, you are subject to that individual. So your obedience determines who is Lord over your life. And as long as you obey God, as long as you obey the words of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the strong man in your life. And when the enemy comes and he sees him at the door, he has no option than to return. Because there is one stronger than him. And we need to be on guard. Today I came to stir you up to obedience. Stir you up to walk with God. Stir you up to guard your freedom. Because the enemy is, guard, is watching for your freedom. And when he comes, he will not leave you at the level he left you the last time. It's going to be worse. If you think pastor is scaring you, yes, it is part of my intentions. Bible says we should provoke one another unto good works. That is part of my intention. To scare you straight to the straight and narrow path. Are we together? We need to guard our freedom. And as we guard our freedom, as we walk in obedience, the enemy will not have a part in us. Jesus Christ says in the book of John, he says, the prince of this world cometh, but he finds no part in me. Will the enemy find part in you when he comes? Or will he find a strong man? Let's rise to our feet and pray. I want to pray this morning and commit yourself. 
Ask God to give you strength to walk in obedience. To bring every evil thought, every demonic thought, every high-sounding philosophy, to bring it to the obedience of the word of God. See, sometimes they sound nice. The enemy packages compromise in nice arguments. I want to pray this morning. The Father, give us the strength. Give us the wisdom to discern and to bring them in captivity to the knowledge of God. You want to lift up your voice and pray this morning? La di zandaba. Leko shadabranta ikadaba. Zeneme keves keves yaba. Rende keskeve, baluskapa, yadababandalia dabantahas, lekoskapa, rababazala badiata, lava de cabranda zandata, libra bazotobokoskapa, lazada da, randa zende venemeculia zaya.